As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. To Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by the Athletic senior writer Chris Vanini. Hi, Chris. Nicole, good to be here. Been a busy week. You and I have seen a lot of each other. It's going to continue next week. Um, I know everyone's been talking about NFL draft in, in Colorado, and we'll get into that. But a lot of other stuff was happening in college football, and you and I were in the thick of it. Yes, it was a busy and newsy week. Um, we call them headlines over at The Athletic for each news story, and uh, we had a lot of them. So the Power Five is chock full of topics this week. As you mentioned, next week we will also be together. We'll be with Andy. We'll be out in Arizona at the spring meetings. Um, that will include the Big 12 folks, Pac-12 folks, Mountain West. There will be some folks from the Big 10, the MAC. We will be doing our pod in person next week we will also be hanging out with andy so be sure to subscribe rate and review us on the andy staples show and friends feed it'll be interesting on today's episode of power hour we will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less so chris we'll dive in and we'll start as we always do with the power five in true power hour fashion we give ourselves about a minute now we'll be very loose this this week because there's a lot of news but we'll give ourselves time to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. I will start with number one. On Friday, the Big Ten introduced Tony Petiti as its new commissioner. He is officially taking over as you're listening to this. He has begun, and I was fortunate enough to get to speak with him actually twice separately on Friday afternoon after the press conference. Um, I spoke to him for The Athletic and I have a piece up on the website about all the challenges that college sports is facing, walking into them right now, why he wanted this job. We know it's a great job. We know it's an influential job in college sports and sports at large, but it's also a hard job and it's a very hard time to take this job. So we get into that about why he wants to do this, where he believes the Big Ten and himself will need to collaborate Talks a little bit about Greg Sankey, Big Ten SEC relationships, and also covered a little bit of expansion. He was pretty noncommittal there. I think everyone's seen the quote where he basically just says that he will make sure that the Big Ten 
does what it does to be as strong in the future as it's been in the past. And you can read into that whichever way you want to read into that. But I did not expect any bold proclamations. I did not expect him, as Brett Yormark did on day one, to say that the Big Ten was open for business or anything, because it's not. <laughs> um, we'll get into uh, a little bit later in the Power Five some comments uh, the Illinois Chancellor made to me. But for the time being, got Tony Petiti's main thoughts on all the main issues that he's going to be walking into as the Big Ten commissioner. And as of today, he is now one of the most important and powerful people in college sports. That's what I was going to say. First of all, if you don't know Tony Petiti's background, as most of us didn't, scroll back on your feed. Nicole and I had a Tony Petiti-specific episode a couple of weeks ago when we did a, uh, a story on his whole background. If you don't know, group son of a cop in New York City, played college baseball, went to Harvard uh, Business School, um, uh, and... Um, Went on to work for ABC Sports. He helped create the BCS, CBS Sports, MLB, Activision, Blizzard, and now the Big Ten. And you're right. He is now one of the top two or three most powerful people in college sports. And I feel like nobody really recognizes that yet. This, This introduction happened on a Friday of the NFL draft. Like the least amount of attention you could possibly get. Nicole, you were there. There were not a ton of reporters in attendance for this in Chicago. Uh, So this is about as under the radar a monumental hire can be. And I only say that because Tony Petiti is going to make some big moves, some big splashes, some big changes at some point. And I feel like people need to understand who he is before we kind of get to that. So... It's not a lot about out about Tony Petiti, but understand that this hire is an enormous, enormous move by the Big Ten. Yeah, and I mean to to your point, he he's going to make decisions that impact things for everyone. Uh, he's going to be involved in the CFP expansion conversations and negotiations. He's worked for various media companies. He helped expand Major League Baseball's postseason. It, it's it, yes. there's influence. There's going to be influence and strong d- decisions. And again, I come back to something that we both learned working on a feature on who Tony Petiti is. But by all accounts, he's a great collaborator, and he thinks that he is going to need to collaborate with the SEC. He's going to need to collaborate with the rest of the Power Five, but with the NCAA as, as a whole. But the, the the solutions for the problems that everyone's facing are going to have to be worked on together. So it was very interesting. You can go read my piece off of my first conversation with Tony Petiti on The Athletic. Uh, And yeah, it's going to be interesting. He seems like he's ready for this job. He feels well-versed in a lot of these areas. But this is going to be a crash course. There's just a lot of things flying at these folks in these jobs. Yes, and he was a big fan of the story Nicole and I wrote. We talked to him briefly, just chatted to say hi at the playoff meetings this week in Dallas. Uh, and, he, and he basically was like, "There isn't out, there isn't much about me out there outside of a couple of press releases." He thought we did a good job revealing who he is. Number two, at those playoff meetings where Tony Petiti was participating, the college football playoff has now officially finally confirmed the dates and general outline of the twelve-team playoff. Uh, at least in 2024, maybe 2025. And that is, the first round games are going to happen two weeks after the conference championship games in the middle of December, third weekend of December. One game on Friday night, three games on Saturday. The uh, the quarterfinals will be New Year's Day 
and one other day around that, which is, we're used to that. The semifinals will be about a week and a half or so after that, uh, the two semifinal games. Don't know the specific days, but that is NFL wildcard weekend, so it's most likely the, the semifinal games will be during the week, maybe a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday type of thing. And then the championship game will be, I think, about two weeks later than it normally is on a Monday still. So we finally, Bill Hancock finally confirmed that for us. Uh, we'll get into it, into it more about what it means that the playoff is going up directly against the NFL. But it was it was a nice reminder that we are one season away from the 12-team playoff era. I mean, Bill Hancock came out of the meeting on, on Thursday, handed all of us a bracket that was the 2022 rankings and seedings in a 2024 bracket. And it was a surprise to a lot of people who I don't think don't realize what it's going to be. So we're going to start thinking 12-team playoff, and we got a little bit more clarity on uh, this week. Number three, also some conversations that I had on Friday at the Big Ten introductory press conference. One notable one was with the University of Illinois Chancellor Robert J. Jones. I was able to catch up with him after the press conference on Friday, and he brought up the subject of potential conference expansion and really where he feels that the Big Ten is right now. As a reminder, he is the uh, chair of the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors, so that is an important role in all of this. Um, He said that he, quote, that sorry, that expansion is, quote, not really at the top of our list at the moment. Our first priority is to successfully integrate UCLA and USC. At the same time, we know the landscape is shifting, and for us, it's time to be very thoughtful and analytical. Are we thinking about it? Of course, we're doing analysis, cost benefits of staying at 16 or moving up. It's not something we're going to do just to react to what other conferences may do. We're only going to do what's best for our current membership, and there has to be some value added for expanding beyond. Um, And then just one other notable quote again about it. He also mentioned that he is less concerned about the travel for USC UCLA and kind of being on their own island after talking to folks at those schools because of how far apart they are for Pac-12 schools and understanding that there's scheduling, there's ways to do scheduling where you could have multi-team events, um, knock out some conference games at the same location. So I'll just leave you with this other quote from Chancellor Jones, quote, I'd be lying if I said we weren't thinking about it but it's not at the top of the list. There's no sense of urgency about it at this point. That's how you give just enough red meat to every people on every side of this. If you want to say the Big Ten's looking at it, you can you can read into that. If you, if you want to say they're not and this isn't really serious or anytime soon, you can look into that as well. They're not adding Oregon and Washington here anytime soon, as you and I have said many times on this show. If they wanted to, they would have already. The Pac-12 has to figure out its stuff first. So, yes, they're always going to look at it. If other things change elsewhere around the country, you react as it is. But, yes, in terms of the realignment things we are looking at that are possible uh, on the near term, the Big Ten adding more is lower on that list than a lot of other things. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Number four, some uh, lower stuff here that that was pretty big for a couple of teams, and that is waivers to the NCAA Board of Directors, both by James Madison and the United Athletic Conference, were both denied. 
the James Madison waiver was a hope that they could be bowl eligible this year. Basically, when you come up from FCS to FBS, you have to go two years without playing in the postseason. Uh, it's basically the price you have to pay. It's supposed to discourage teams from moving up uh, without being prepared, giving them time to invest. You see this a lot in basketball where I think people forget that the only reason Fairleigh Dickinson made it to the tournament was because Merrimack, which won the NEC, was not eligible because it's transitioning up from D2. James Madison wanted to make it one year. They went 8-3 and three last year. They won the Sun Belt East. They felt like, hey, we've got invested in this program. We're a good team. We, we, we shouldn't have to sit out another year. That was denied because uh, the NCAA basically doesn't want to set the precedent of shortening transitions. James Madison is technically still eligible for a bowl if there aren't enough bowl teams. When that is the case, transitioning teams in their second year are eligible ahead of five and seven teams, and we did have a five and seven team this year. So there is an outside chance of that, but some pretty big news news for James Madison there. The United Athletic Conference we talked on here, I think, a couple weeks ago. That's the FCS conference. This is the WAC and the A Sun combining forces, as they've done for a couple of years. They want to be FBS. I don't think it's going to happen, but basically they wanted to be recognized as a single conference. They already get a single playoff spot. Uh, it was denied. Nothing really changes. They think they can get this through at some point in the future. But uh, uh, just a look into the weeds of how the NCAA works for a couple of things there. Yeah, and listen, it's it's obviously it's a bummer about JMU. They have shown that they can compete at the highest level in their conference and that they are ready for this transition. But it's how the rules go, and you worry about setting precedent and um, – you know, it's it's just a bummer. There's a lot of rules that exist around this stuff. We've talked about things before about conference transitions and, you know, oh, you're going to leave a conference. Now you're not eligible for a conference tournament or whatever it might be at certain conferences yep. and leagues have different rules. They're not always fair. They don't always have the best experiences for the players in mind, but they are trying to be deterrents for different things. So it sucks, but that is what happened with JMU. Um, and... You know, it was expected, but, you know, you're allowed to still be bummed about it. Uh, number five. We remember, China. I mean, remember Georgia, Georgia Southern, I think in 2014, their second year, they went 8-0 in the Sun Belt. They, they, they were really, really good, uh, but had to sit out of a bowl game. JMU is not eligible for the Sun Belt championship game either uh, because of this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Number five, the final of the Power Five, uh, Charlie Baker spoke this week. Chris and I were there. It was at the Lead One Spring Meetings in Dallas. 
he spoke in an open session with Tom McMillan, who um, who heads up Lead One. And the most notable thing that Charlie Baker said was that he, quote, I'll just read the quote. Quote, I don't think you'll find very many student athletes who want to be employees. I haven't found many. And there are a lot of good reasons for that. Obviously, there's a lot of traffic in the courts at this point about that issue these days, which is going to limit what I would choose to say about this. But I think student athletes want to be student athletes. And it's up to us to figure out how to make that work for them in a variety of environments and in circumstances that are different. So it's a notable quote. And a lot of people who you know are critical of the status quo were critical of it because they pointed out, rightly so, like it doesn't matter if they want to be in a certain categorization if the law finds that they should be something else. Um, And also like it's not like this was a survey or anything. But again, it just sheds light. This is a new NCAA president. He's been in the role for a month plus, two months-ish. And we're trying to figure out what he's going to push for. What are his talking points? What are his points of emphasis? And we know that he is pushing for federal help. He also talked about the various state laws that we've seen proposed that some of them explicitly say like our state law supersedes NCAA rules around NIL. And we're saying a school could help you negotiate this deal or we're saying X, Y, and Z. So that is actually strengthening, I think, the NCAA's argument for federal help for a national rule that would even uh, not even the the playing field I don't want to use that language because you know it's not an even playing field but had the same rule across all of the states which right now you have conferences that have schools in different states that have different rules around this Um, and we know that that is something that Charlie Baker is pushing for but he also talked about that and that he believes that it would be a feather in the cap of the NCAA's case on that front So just some interesting comments from him. He also touched a little bit on the women's basketball tournament. It may, it's uh, media rights negotiations are coming up really for all of the championships. They're all packaged together outside of men's basketball and a couple other things. And the question facing everyone in college sports and obviously specifically the NCAA is whether or not to spin off women's basketball, maybe softball, maybe baseball, a couple sports that really have potential to be money makers uh, from the rest of the package. So he said women's basketball is having a moment, which it is, and that they don't want to blow it. So we'll see what happens on that front. He said that they may make they, they should make the decision on whether or not to keep all the sports together in their media deal by the end of this calendar year. So a couple notable comments from the new president. Yeah, the the early reviews from the administrative class of college sports, they like Charlie Baker. They they think he's attentive. He understands the issues and understands how to talk about the issues, which is as important as anything. I think Mark Emmert's communication and aloofness was often the criticism there. Charlie Baker doesn't seem to have that. We've talked to him a couple times. He generally talks like a normal guy. Uh which is I think a positive just in terms of that job. You know, when, when he says you know, he, he said, I basically, I've met with a lot of college athletes, you know, as I've started this job, and I don't think most of them want to be employees. And I think, like, I think he's right, first of all. Like, whether or not you agree college athletes should be employees or not, like, I do think he is not wrong there because, look, attempts to create college football player unions or college sports player unions have all gotten very, very little support from college athletes who have so much on their plate already. They have being an athlete, they have school, they have growing up, maturing just in what they do. Some of them have NIL deals that take a lot of their time. 
it, it it's kind of been the it's it's been a sticky point of this issue of player empowerment of like there's a lot of activists who want to get certain things done, but they don't have a ton of player support because they're just college kids, a lot of these people. And so, like, it, it, it's, it is an interesting thing, and ultimately courts and lawsuits are probably going to decide these things. So um, it, it's some interesting insight from Charlie Baker as he spoke to a group of ADs. They all wanted to meet him. There was a bigger crowd this year because of that. And uh, things move forward. He's got a lot on his plate, and, but he had some notable stuff this week. Okay, let's move over into our happy hour. As uh, part of the show, we talk about something that we're excited about or intrigued by. And this week, I want to talk about getting some clarity on the college football playoff, when these games are going to be played, which days of the week for the most part. We now know that they're going to be played for 2024 with the 12 team playoff. And you know what? I'm going to give the college football playoff and the commissioners credit for just saying, F it. Let's go up against the NFL. We have had this conversation so many times over the years about the NFL and avoiding it. And this is why you play at this time and this day and these things. And we've seen the NFL just continue to encroach on other sports territory. I mean, they're going to be playing on Black Friday. They're, they're, they move into yep. all of these other spaces um, where the NBA is, where everyone else is. It, d- it doesn't matter. And college football playoff is going to play at least three games that will go up against NFL regular season games. It will be the first round on campus games because there's going to be one Friday night game three on Saturday. That's the first Saturday of December where the NFL can play on Saturdays and there will be games. And I think that's okay. I also think it's okay that the semifinal round is going to avoid the NFL. They're going to be avoiding the wild card weekend. So those are going to be weeknight games, which could end up being like Thursday, Friday, which would actually be kind of cool because you have four straight days of football with really high stakes. And I don't think that would be the be worst so thing much in the football. world. Yeah. yeah, but I think that would be fun. But my point is yeah. you can't avoid these things. You can't avoid the NFL just because it's incredibly powerful because it drives incredible ratings. You can't do that forever. You also have to play when you need to play the games. And college football is about Saturdays. And I think those games that are going to be played on campuses should mostly be on Saturdays. So I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad that they didn't overthink this and try to avoid going head to head too much. And again, I'll I'll be the first to talk about the ratings if they're terrible because the NFL just dwarfed them. But I think you got to try it at this point. You, You can't just seed ground forever to the NFL. I wrote about this in the fall basically that college football and the NFL have a TV war coming. And the, the reason the NFL plays on the third Saturday of December, it's literally a law. The Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961, which was signed by JFK, the NFL can't broadcast on Fridays uh, or Saturday, uh, Fridays or Saturdays up to the third Saturday in December in order to protect college football and high school football. Uh, but, now, the NFL expanded its season. College football expanded its season. College football used to, used to have Thursdays. There used to be huge Thursday night college football games. They eventually kind of ceded that to the NFL when it added Thursday night football. College football is doing Friday nights, encroaching on high school football. Coaches don't like that. So all these different levels of football are kind of going up against each other. And there were commissioners, you know, back in the fall who were just like, at, at some point we got to say screw it and just take on the NFL because they're not going to – uh, 
do anything that we would like them to do. And now you've got the Black Friday game. The reason the Black Friday game, by the way, is in the afternoon and not at night is because of the Sports Broadcasting Act. So, yeah, you know, we, we've had college go up against NFL before. The in, in 2020 with COVID, the SEC championship game went up against um, an NFL network game. And the ratings for SEC were down. Uh, but that was also part of because of COVID, too. And look, if you were to look at the top, in a given year, the top 100 most watched broadcasts of the year, something like 80 of them are the NFL and something like 10 of them are college football. And then the other 10 are just a mix of whatever. So the NFL is a behemoth, but college football is powerful, too. And so that's the plan right now. At least 24 and 25, you're probably going up against the NFL. Will they move the season back to week zero, in which case you move the the first round games to the second weekend of December? That's still very TBD, it sounds like, 2026 at the earliest. That affects so many other things if you're starting college football well before Labor Day. Summer school, rivalry games, all kinds of stuff. There's a moving the moving the season back to week zero is not a simple thing. But yeah. College football and the NFL are going to be duking it out here even more. Yeah, and on the week zero front, um, I thought it was interesting that AAC Commissioner Mike Resco told us that it seems to be losing momentum. And when you talk to the other commissioners about it, it made sense because it's pretty complicated to move the entire season up a week. And there's there's the dynamic that you run into that you wouldn't run into in any professional sports is like there's summer sessions that athletes are enrolled in. There's a fall camp process and timeline, and it needs to align enough with the summer session and the way that semesters work or trimesters or quarters work. And right now, like those things align enough that this works. And it kind of has to do with like the portal windows as well for the spring. But I just think that there's a lot of complications there. And then you would potentially also be moving rivalry games up to the week before Thanksgiving conference championship games to Thanksgiving weekend. And maybe, maybe students mm-hmm. aren't, aren't there that weekend. Like there are, there are those issues. Um, so you can read about that. We wrote about these issues coming out of the CFP meeting, but again, I, I just think getting clarity on all of this is good. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun and Yes. It's going to take some time to adjust to and get used to, and especially even understanding, like, you know, who's going to get buys and whatnot. But this is a happy hour topic. Like, I am excited about this, and I'm excited that there are going to be some meaningful games on Saturdays because I have argued, and I know that it's not yes. realistic, but, like, it would be awesome if the national championship game was on a Saturday instead of a Monday night. But I digress. Yeah. I, I get that. Like Monday, like Monday is not the worst because Monday is a big night. Monday night football, all that stuff. No, but but but, but, but you're not. But you don't go somewhere to watch the championship game in the same way that you do. You plan a party around the Super Bowl because it's the weekend yes. and it's earlier yes. in the night. You you can't do that for a Monday night championship game. It's the same problem. No, with the no, you're you're right. You're right. No, you're right there. And and it, th- there is a lot of change and, and like i mentioned bill hancock handed out the bracket to us and the first thing that jumped out to me was we would have had a 12 seed two lane playing at at five seed tcu in the first round winner plays the number four seed utah and the winner goes to a semifinal from there like that would have been awesome like like we're we're gonna have so many fun unexpected games and so many different ways to like approach a bracket that like 
just I looked at this bracket and I got so excited. <laughs> like, like we're gonna have conference championship games that are massive because you want to get that buy. The four seed, the, the the top four seeds, the four buys last year would have been Georgia, Michigan, Clemson as the three seed, and Utah. Those would have been the top four seeds in the playoff because the conference champions are the only ones eligible for a buy. You're gonna have a top five SEC team, top four SEC team. That is not going to be getting a buy and will instead host a first round game, which is a nice consolation prize. But like this thing is going to be so exciting, man. Like, like I know we've talked about the playoff a ton and expanding it and whatever models, all kinds of stuff. But like we're one year away from like previewing it, making our 12 team picks. And that's awesome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's awesome. Okay, let's switch gears and go to our On the Rock segment. It is time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere in this sport. We are here to help work through it. This week's Rocky relationship is pretty obvious. Uh, we haven't chimed in on this, but it has been a major, major talking point this so, this week, sorry, this whole offseason, but especially this week. This is the Rocky relationship between Colorado and Basically every single player who was on this <laughs> roster last year. That's a good way to put um, it. There's a tough relationship between Deion Sanders and every single player. And on the every roster. single player that was on the roster last year. Um, and listen, I, I know that Colorado won one game last year. Could have gone winless, truly. But this is unprecedented, the roster flip that he is doing. And our colleagues, David Ubbin and Max Olson, have been all over this this week. And I know they've talked about it on this feed. Um, I know Andy and Ari have chimed in about this all week, too. But I I did want to make sure that we hit on it because um, just because it is allowed doesn't mean that it's right. And I know why all of this is happening. And I know how Deion Sanders is doing it. But I don't like it. I don't like the way he's talked about it. We all remember the quotes that he said when he first met the team about how he was going to bring his Louie with him and that they were going to be run off. But he ran off so many of those players. Um, what is the number up to, Chris? What are we up to? for? It's for more than 50 as of right yeah, now. It's, it's changing. It's, always, it's changing by the hour, it seems. Yeah, I think it's under 10 defensive players from last year's team. Um, but he was talking like on the Pat McAfee show this week and said that when you buy new furniture, you have to like get rid of your old furniture first. And that's really insensitive and gross to hear from a college football coach. I don't think that anyone who works in this space should feel okay about that because it is antithetical to everything everyone ever says college sports is supposed to be about. You're comparing human beings to old furniture that you need to throw out. So I really, really dislike it. And I, just because it's allowed, just because it's an option for coaches, 
does not mean that everyone needs to totally clean house this way. And also, if you're going to, just do it in a better way. Don't talk about these players that way. And also, be more humane about how you do it. But you also don't need to get rid of 50-plus players in one year. You're not. Well, Colorado yeah. is not going to make the college football playoff this year. This did not need to be an overnight flip. You could have done this over a period of years like every other coach does. Yeah, there, there's a couple different ways. I mean, first off, we probably should have, should we call the segment on the on the boulders instead of on the rocks or on the Rocky Mountains because we're dealing with with Colorado here. So like, Deion Sanders as a coach always says the quiet part out loud. He says and does things that a lot of other coaches do. He's just very transparent about it. He said he was going to do this to the players and then he did it that you you don't get credit for that i i mean like that doesn't make it okay just because he said he was going to do this thing and so a comment that really stuck out to me is someone we both know joel anderson a writer at slate who played football at tcu and he had a tweet a couple days ago of basically like you know, there, there was a point when I was at TCU that I realized I wasn't going to make it, that I wasn't going to be a great player. And that really, really hurt when a player realized that. And if a coach then comes up and treats you like crap and tells you to get out of here, it would have made it so much worse. And so, like, I understand why Deanne is doing this, but... The, the, some of the comments that, that our colleague David Ubbin got in his story of players saying, yeah, Dion never talked to the players who weren't part of the team already. Uh, he only talks to the new guys who are in. Like, not all of that is new. Again, ever since the portal became a thing, coaches everywhere nudge guys into the portal. Lincoln Riley did this last year. But Lincoln Riley only cut like 10 or so guys. He didn't cut 20, 30-plus dudes. And so that's why... We've never seen it done at this scale before. You can guarantee that this is going to come up in a congressional testimony about players and whether or not they're employees. Because a couple of months ago, Washington State AD Pat Chun said uh, in one of, one of the committees, players are not employees, otherwise they would get fired for underperformance, and we don't want that. Brian Kelly, I think, said the same thing last year. Basically, like, I don't, if, if players are employees, then, then we can cut them, essentially. That's already happening. And now Dion is being so public about it. All, all those, all the advocates and activists who are saying players should be employees, like, that's exactly what they needed. And, and then now Dion is giving them that. So that, that's, that's a whole thing. The football part of this, I don't know, man. Like, you need bodies at some point. I know the team was horrible last year. I know a lot of those guys probably aren't FBS players. And I know you're adding some good players in the portal. But you are you need to rebuild almost an entire roster in one offseason? Guys are going to get hurt. Shadur Sanders is not a big guy. There are not There is not quarterback depth on that team. You need guys in the trenches who can block. And this was a very small team last year. So I don't know. Like, I already... We already knew 2023 was going to be rough for Colorado. That schedule is brutal, starting off with with TCU. So it's going to be a rough go. 
What happens when you're one in five, one in six? Are you still going to be talking like this? Are you still going to be saying we need to get better players or we're going to run the wrong guys out of here? Because at some point, players aren't going to want to come and play for that. So it's a big risk. Like this could work out. Like I don't doubt that Dion can get a lot of talent there. But at some point, you're going to be making the sales pitch when you're two and eight or something like that. And how does that go over? How did the, how, what, what kind of camaraderie do you have among those players? So this is a very, I mean, very Chris, long way to say, I don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I just, I don't think I would want to go play for someone who's doing it right now. You're saying like, well, what, what's going to happen if he does this again, or he, you know, they, they yeah. lose and then he's throwing more players under the bus. Like I would be extremely concerned about how he was treating players. Like, Every time a new coach comes in somewhere, you're always inheriting someone else's recruits. And the best coaches build relationships, even though they weren't their guys that they brought they, there. They it's always just, say they always I, say the first thing I had to recruit was my current team. Like that's what every right. new and coach again, you don't says. have to you don't have to like everyone that yeah. you're inheriting or even think that they're the most talented. But like they committed to the school. They committed, they're part of that community. I don't know. It just, mm -hmm. it, it really bothers me. And again, I know this is a topic that has been discussed at nauseum, so we'll, we'll wrap it up here. But I just, I, I really have an issue with the way that this has been going down and the way that it has been discussed. So we, yeah, um, we'll, we'll see what people in uh, Arizona say next week because Pac-12 meetings are there too. So. Okay, let's wrap things up with the last call. It is time for a cheers or a jeers. Uh, this is the part of the show where we say whatever we might say if we were getting our last round of drinks. Wrapping up the night, we might be wanting to rant about something and get it off our chest. We may want to raise our glass and cheers to something for the last time um, on this episode. Chris, I will go first um, because mine is a rant. And I think yours is more positive, so I will let you end on a positive note. But I need to rant about the NFL draft itself. Now, this is something I do to myself every single year. I get excited for it because I absolutely love the moment when someone gets a phone call that their dream has come true. This thing that they have been waiting for and working towards. And it's usually they're surrounded by their families or you watch video of that. It's just it's lovely. But I really hate the whole ecosystem around it. And I also always forget how long it takes. There's no reason that it, that each individual pick needs to take so long in the first round. It is painful, especially pick number one. You already know you had all of these hours and days. You would think. Even though there was a trade, you would think, right? You don't need to wait the whole 10 minutes. Um, so I always forget just how tedious it is and, and how painful that whole drawn out process is. But this year also had a layer that I really, really also disliked. Um, and it was what they did to, to Will Levis. I didn't like that. It was again, kind of like this apparatus around the draft that like hyped Will Levis up to the point where people were supposedly expecting that he would be like a top five pick, but even beyond that. So like that whole apparatus and, you know, agents leaking things, smoke screens, et cetera, et cetera. People are giving him, you know, putting him in mock drafts way higher than like real analysis and evaluators would have. And coming out of the season, I mean, people were not talking about uh, Will Levis as a top five pick. People watched him in college, evaluators who watched him very closely. Like that was not a realistic expectation. So, they hype, hype built him up, and they, I mean, like, the whole draft ecosystem, built him up, and then 
starts tearing him down because he's now, quote, falling in the draft. And then, I, you know, I know there's always someone and they keep showing them because they're sad. They're not getting drafted higher. But again, this was like they made up how high his ceiling was supposed to be. So it's not even like he's falling because he should he wasn't going to go that high in the first place. So first of all, hated that. Second of all, hated all of the sad shots because I felt like they were even more than usual. And then the worst part was that little like graphic or, or statistic or metric that I don't even know. Did we ever get the math behind Wh- it? Which, like which how one? it was fi- The one that said at the, you know, the odds of Will Levis being available at this point oh, in the yeah. draft were like 0.1%. And I was like, based on what? Exactly. These are human pick, even making picks. Like, it's not it's not a real thing. Um, so that was actually, I think, the worst part about all of it because it's like just a totally made-up statistic. But I I just – that stuff just bothers me a lot. And, and, you know, good for him for not going for draft two – day two. Like, I know he got drafted, like, right away, right? Like, okay, it would have been great. Yes. But good for you for leaving and <laughs> not dealing with that, not having, you know, all the cameras on you, um, you know, just waiting for you to continue to be sad. Like, good for Will Levis. Um, I'm glad he got drafted. I'm glad he got drafted early on Friday. Um, was he the second pick, third pick? But – like, man, I just – I hate that part of this whole process so much that guys who, quote, rise on mock drafts, you know, that that's that wasn't a realistic landing spot for him, and it was gross the way that that got – that he got used by the whole system. Yes. The, the NFL draft is a machine. Like, there was 125,000 people showed up on night one. There are so many websites dedicated to this stuff. We put out a million mock drafts. Like, it's just – it's huge. It's such a fun and easy thing to engage with and talk about and debate. But the idea of Will Levis being a top five pick to anybody who watched him in college football regularly was it made no sense. And you heard people talking about it going into the season. It was like, wait a minute, this guy couldn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State. They wouldn't let him throw the ball. Are we sure he's a top five pick? Nothing jumps out here. Whatever you think about Anthony Richardson, he at least has an elite athleticism you could spin, you could understand why teams would take a risk on that. The risk of Will Levison top five, top ten never made any sense. And to your point, how the hell do you calculate the percentage odds that he was going to be there? Like this isn't like game probability where you've had thousands of games, you know, you can put in the data to see what typically happens in the spot. That doesn't it doesn't make sense with the draft. It's the same way ESPN does the playoff predictor percentages for teams to make the playoff. Like, it makes no sense. It was very dumb and annoying. So I uh, hated to see that for Will Levis. Um, glad Chris, he got you can't keep you can't keep stealing my last calls. No, I'm agreeing with yours. I know, but that's... I, I'm following up on yours. That, that wasn't mine, by the way. I was just agreeing with you. Mine as we wrap up here, is for the Philadelphia uh, Bulldog Eagles who have who are just rebuilding the 2021 Georgia defense. They've drafted N'Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis last year. They drafted Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith this year. Personally, I think that's a pretty good strategy to draft all these guys from one of the most elite defenses in college football history. I think seven first-round picks out of that defense now – uh, ridiculous. It's very funny that the Eagles are doing this and very smart. So cheers to the Eagles. It was a very good defense. So I get it. And you already have baked in chemistry, right? I mean, 
Makes sense. You're putting you, we could have J- also, yeah, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis next to each other again, like on the line. Like that's again, again. It's it's. I always love when teammates like get reunited in the NFL. Me too. It just like makes me all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Um, but it is always funny when stuff like this happens where you're like, wait, so no one else in the meantime drafted like any of them? Like they all somehow were able and available for the same organization. This is like when the Patriots always get somebody good. Yes. Because you're always like, the, how the, did the no, Patriots, one, no one take them? Patriots, the Ravens, and the Eagles. And the Ravens. And you're always like, yes. how did all the other teams let this happen? How did they let all these elite Georgia players well, fall to them? Seattle might also be in that grouping of like they always draft well. I feel they are having a fun draft. They're having a really good draft. Um, we're going to wrap up here, but uh, Chris, we're recording this in the middle of the draft. So good luck to your lions. Hopefully they do not continue to take Iowa Hawkeyes. Cause I think they're out of them. I think they took an Iowa state player while we were talking. So pretty close. Oh, so they're just, it's the whole state. They're just, they're just all in all of their scouts and their personnel. Just it's one recruiting trip. They just, Sh- they just go to the state. Of Shout Iowa. out to our friend Colton Pouncey, our Lions beat writer, who said the Lions were be- going to be looking at running back and tight end, and the fans hated him for it. And what did the Lions do with their first three picks? They took a running back and a tight end. So Colton was right. Well, those fans might be taking out a lot of their frustrations on Colton. So best of luck. Godspeed to Colton Pouncey. That will do it for this week's Power Hour. Like I said, next week Chris and I will be on location and together um, we will get you some insights from spring meetings in Scottsdale but thank you for listening for Chris Vanini I'm Nicole Auerbach and uh, we'll talk to you again soon